Good afternoon. You are listening to KSKQ 89.5 FM in Ashland, Oregon, and 94.2 FM in Medford, Oregon. This is the fourth Friday of the month. That means it's time for Literary Ashland. I'm Michael Newman. And I'm Ed Battistella. And we don't really have any announcements. We're still living in this weird COVID pandemic situation where we don't know which events actually happen and which don't. So no announcements today, but we have a guest and Ed will introduce our guest. Right. No announcements, but I've got a whole stack of summer reading, so I'm happy about that. Um, today, our special guest is Zeke Hudson. Zeke's from Ashland, and he started his academic career as an electrical engineer. He graduated from SOU in 2011 with a degree in creative writing and completed an MFA in poetry at Boise State University. So today he divides his time unevenly between technical writing for CU 2.0, where he develops marketing strategies and oversees content production and writing poetry. Um, his poetry has appeared in Wend Poetry, Nightblock, Bad Pony, and Benango Street, and he published a chapbook from Thrush, Thrush Press, it's easy for you to say, called Blue Lake. Um, when Zeke isn't writing, he's usually doing something fun like mountain biking or playing Dungeons and Dragons or snowboarding. All right. So Zeke, tell us a little bit about your background. Fill in some of the gaps there. Oh gosh, like how far back should I go? Um, I never intended to, to go to school at SOU. Um, <laughs> that was a complete mistake. Uh, I, when, when I was looking for colleges to go to, I was looking for astronomy programs. And, uh, as you are well aware, SOU does not have one. Um, and at, at some point after my first year of taking a bunch of science courses in college, um, <laughs> I, I did end up going to SOU. I was going to take a gap year. Um, but decided to take some classes, I realized that I did not want to memorize things. I wanted to learn how things worked and how to research them and how to do them. So I uh, started studying literature. So I guess that's that's like the back background. Um, and then since, since then, I, I before working uh, at CU 2.0, which is a very fun, fast-paced experience. Uh, I was bartending for several years while applying for PhDs, and I ended up turning down, um, or I deferring and then turning down a PhD in order to live the the professional life. So that's uh, that's a little bit of extra background. Yeah, and I do remember um, you took a class of mine and you wrote a paper on black holes, and I was thinking. Why is this guy writing a paper on black holes? Uh, and it turned out to be a great paper, but at the time, I was a little perplexed. <laughs> yeah, there's there's always been something really fascinating to me about um, about what's not here, about what we can only like briefly observe and 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 put forth our best guess about. I guess even when I was doing. Um, all the all the creative writing classes at SRU, I think probably half to two thirds of the the things that I wrote were either kind of sci-fi ish or especially in poetry, they were kind of writing about about humanity, but humanity away from Earth. There was there was a lot of space theme, I think, implicitly in there. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So as, as Ed said during the introduction, you divide your life between technical writing, working as a manager in a company, and then also writing poetry. So how has poetry prepared you for your work as a manager? That, you know, the more I think about it, the more I realize how important poetry was to what I do now. Um, like currently my, my role is, is like the creative director of, of this company. And, and so it's, it's more than just writing that I do at this point. There's, there's a whole lot of kind of intuitive artistic design that goes into things. Um, it's, it's a place of ideas as much as it, as it is of action. And poetry to me gave me the kind of freedom and understanding of these weird abstract concepts and, and found the easiest way to distill um, these ideas for the, for the technology and finance companies that we work with to, to be able to bring that sort of abstract understanding of the world and that, that primacy of the word and, and how important it is to, to, uh, I guess, condense things as much as possible and cut out everything else that doesn't matter. So it, it just allowed me to, to both focus my, my words when I'm writing, <laughs> apparently not speaking. Um, and also to, to explore the creative side of communication, to explore those, those weird connections and, and tangents that the mind goes down and, and try to, to bring them into a, a single coherent place. Um, plus, I can imagine. Oh, sorry, you go. Well, I was going to say, I can imagine as you're, as you're sort of writing things, you know, using that, that kind of poetic sensibility to think, oh, someone might look at it this way. Someone else might look at it this way, kind of building all that in. Yeah, and and especially like with I would say about eighty percent of our clients, they do work in the in the finance and technology space, and so we work with a lot of people who who are working with AI, and who are who are working with these like massive new technology deals that they're trying to trying to implement, whether with a financial institution or with, with individual users and it's very technical and it's dry and it's difficult to read and it's even more difficult to understand. You know, we're working with several people who, who have blockchain technology and AI working simultaneously. And that's not the kind of thing that people want to read, even if it's something that they know they need to for their job. And so being able to inject that like little bit of humanity that to, to understand that you're like we market we're marketing from person to person not from brand to brand like you have to keep people engaged and you have to make sure that they they understand that they're not slogging through their day they're learning they're making a connection they're they're understanding the world again and i think poetry has been very important for me in in being able to to bring that humanity back to the technological space in an effective way. I just, the other day, read an interview with British poet uh, Roger Robinson in The Guardian, and he said something really interesting. He said, the poet's job is to translate unspeakable things onto the page. Uh, and I wonder how that rings for you. That, that's, that's one of those things where you could, 
you could teach an entire week's worth of poetry around that one quotation, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, personally, I, I think that it is largely true, but there's also so much more that needs to be brought into it. But like, yeah, and I also think about poetry as being a language that you speak. Like, you're you, sure we write poetry in English, but it's it's the language it, you're trying to write something for which you can't make sense of it with normal speech. Like you mm -hmm. have to create a new way of saying something for it to mean what it needs to mean. And so the 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 word the language gets dang boy I can't I can't think of how to say this. It's, it's um, unspeakable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, like the meaning behind the words makes it so that the words on their own wouldn't have meaning, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. So we've, we've talked a little bit about how your um, work as a poet fits into the, the work you do as a technical writer. Um, I want to ask you to read something in a minute, but first I wanted to just ask, where do the ideas for your poetry come from? That's been a huge issue for me recently. Um, so I'm sorry if I go off on a tangent here, but when I, when I was in grad school, um, I started getting a bunch of very strange physical symptoms where my body wasn't doing the things that they were supposed to do and we couldn't figure out what was happening. And that went on for about six years. It's still happening now. Um, but many of those symptoms are indicative of a couple different um, afflictions that essentially cause early death and uh, disability. Like uh, there were, for a while we assumed that I would either be dead by now or that I would need uh, assistance walking, moving around the house and everything. Oh, and so that really took a lot of my writing. Like it, it just, everything that I had been writing sort of morphed into this exploration of, of the body and time and, and like, how, how do you move through the world if you don't understand not just the world and the path, but like your own place in it anymore. Um, so I got a, I got a diagnosis about, six months ago and I'm going to be pretty much fine, which is great news. And I still haven't fully digested it and I'm not sure how. And like poetry to me and uh, until this point for the last six years has been trying to figure out what's happening with my body. And, and now that I know, I, I feel kind of lost. Like I, I'm, I'm not sure where to move from here. Um, so I, I feel like right now I'm still searching for the next problem that i have to figure out the next the next the next yeah exploration yeah. Mm -hmm. well yeah could you read us something yeah just a question about length here because most of my poems are extremely long so what kind of time constraints are we looking at for this Well, the entire show is, as I said, 27 minutes. So if you read one poem and it takes 10 minutes, well, you know, I don't think it will, but 
maybe it will. Who knows? It's I'll okay. See if I can, yeah. I'll see if I can cut through uh, some of the some of the basics here of this uh, this one poem. It it is seventeen pages, so. Um, <laughs> That might challenge our listeners. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this one was called What Gets Passed On. Um, mm-hmm. this, was, this was a meditation of kind of the idea of uh, what kind of legacy do we, do we leave for people, whether it's genetic or, uh, or otherwise, largely about the planet and um, what effect we have on it. The wind, yes, it blows through here in the lark blue sky. At least separation means clarity, like how clouds part and the god light cuts through the way it does in pictures. Two years ago was different and time fell away, like withered flesh and burial grounds. I can feel it. What else am I missing? I miss springtime and yellow flowers and sheep bleeding like idiots. I miss Pabst and pizza downtown throwing rocks into the river, poems. Everything is moving faster and faster away. The little things mean so much. A backyard filled with red clover, knee-high with bees, and pansies like photographs. Problems seem distant here in the small valley. Where are you from? I answer as if I don't know anymore. I don't know anymore. I'm from where the white sands push back the waves where the sun sets behind the mountain an hour early and still glows tonight, where the cliff runs black against the stars and cattle kick up dust and fog like death, where the music is from and where morning is born with month-old snow too bright. My grandfathers are dead and their brains died first and my muscles are doing their damnedest to die as well. I said there's clarity and distance, but sometimes I lie. I get texts from faraway friends and think of what I've lost. We were poor but happy. The steeple looks like praying hands and congregations like fairy rings pop up through soft loam the way moss through through rock crags or lichen or tree bark. The grander the scene, we look before the next storm rolls through and thunder scares. Mortality, whatever. Multi-layered greens gone natural lends captured commodities. At least something will live on. Tanned leather backs Hide. The rocks will protect you from the rocks. Wake you up with butterflies. Wake you up with warm heart. Wake you up with news headlines that read, nobody was shot today, you're going to be fine. Wake you up to tell you something strong and not be embarrassed. Wake you to feel new how ladybugs are when the season appears. The whole world rejoices with a breeze and the fresh smell of grass. Wake you up with music that sounds like rain on glass. Wake you up with fresh water while we can and steam while we can. Wake you up with glinting eye. The day will surely be full and long. If there were more opportunities in towns riddled like bullet holes and stop signs across the West, little blossoms with black rusted stamen and silver petals, well, obviously I'd be there in a heartbeat. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Excuse for connection. Airports, late bars, apps the vulgar beauty of email. Sometimes I worry I write to feel important. Now I coordinate bubbles into patterns. If I can't be good, then I will make something that is, or I will map it in blood and try again while I grow ugly. I will try again until the structure is correct, 
until the foundations are adequate, the pillar, the plinth, the pedestal, until a rose blooms from March mud, until a percentage, until a fast goodbye, until how many goodbyes can there be? The goodbyes will catch up to us. I will try again. Wake you up with charmed stormlight. Wake you up with lavender. Wake you up with house, house finch and sparrow. Shut up. Wake you up with mistakes the size of an entire book. Wake you with a pen. Wake you with a new body, and you will never grow frail, and your brain will never die. Wake you up to feel safe. The world is dark and changing. Stockpiles of food and rations and best intentions. Forgotten information. Torched hayfield. Smoked sky. Imparted flavor. At the loveliest moments of clouds and sunset and sad movies and books by people I hardly know, I will never be good enough. Not everything can be held. The sound of metal, house creaking, night terror, coffee smell fresh in the morning. It is how people feel, not the body, but the between. The body is nothing, it lies. The words lie too if you let them, and yes, I will let them, always. Wake me with energy, but stiffness pins these stupid limbs, fever weak and shaking, some phantom possession or leftover words in the sink. I'm excused, to pull, I'm excused at work to pull myself together after I fail to climb the stairs again, explain why I moved home at 30, can't bike uphill, as if putting these conversations on paper helps. There are moments to briefly love, and I am sick to matter. Have I mentioned the burning moon and umber stag in its shadow light, spooked while foraging, the overripe blackberries climbing in air night across the street, and the sounds of the stream parched from summer? If I have not, then I will. So that's that. All right. That's Thank great. you. I really like the way that the detail sort of moves the narrative. I mean, it, it sort of brings you into a whole series of visual images that, that sort of almost put us in your body. Yeah. Um, and also in the, in the environment. Yeah. So. Indeed. Uh, in case you're just joining us, you're listening to KSKQ 89.5 FM in Ashland, Oregon. This is Literary Ashland, and we're talking with poet Zeke Hudson. Well, and I know you and I have talked in the past about um, sincerity versus irony. And I mean, the poem you just read, it, it, it sort of, um, the, the, it wears its sincerity right on its sleeve. Mm -hmm. it's not, you're not sort of... Um, attempting to be a, um, an ironic poet. So how do you sort of see the, the role of those two concepts? That's such a great question. I, I think more and more I've, I've come to believe that like irony itself is a very good generative mechanism, especially in poetry. And it's something that brings immediacy and, and like, just this this contemporaneous whatever's happening in the world that you can communicate through irony but but you can't communicate truth or passion through irony and and i think that poetry has to do both like there are so many great poets out there who are writing very immediate very necessary things but then you have to question the longevity of it like if if you're only writing about current events are you writing about something that that transcends the news cycle 
And I, I think that's an issue that, that we all deal with. Like, how do you disconnect? The, the news is terrible. It feels like the world is ending right now. And, and it has for a few years, I'm sure. But, um, but now with, with a pandemic going on and with, it's a very exhausting, sad, difficult world. And, and sometimes the way to respond to that is by like opening yourself and, and allowing, allowing yourself to just say something without being guarded. Because if we are guarded, then, I mean, like, then you get people who respond to perfectly normal phrases like black lives matter with all lives matter. Like why, why erase, why erase a, perfectly legitimate statement with with like a dismissive statement why why bring that sense of like combativeness why bring that sense of irony why why question things that are true like sorry to go on a political rant but like all lives matter doesn't say black lives don't matter it's not it's not a reasonable dismissal and yet is being used as that it's like Mm -hmm. that i think is the role that irony has played in culture these days is Mm -hmm. is to dismiss things but but like as as interesting as it is to define oneself through opposition i think that at some point you have to stand for something and and the sincerity allows you to stand for something it allows you to put yourself it allows you to be vulnerable and and believe in something i think that that's i think it's necessary in poetry and and you can't you can't forget about it for sure yeah i think the key word that i heard just now was vulnerability mm-hmm. and i think uh i think any writing um, you know i don't write poetry but i write other stuff any writing requires a certain amount of vulnerability and opening up and I think, I mean, you're right. If you, if you stand for something, you're going to be vulnerable. And I mean, not to be glib, but I, I think I need to get a T-shirt that says, don't be glib and start wearing it around. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, on, on, a, on a different question, you know, your, your day job involves writing and your poetry involves writing. How do you manage these different kinds of writings? in your day or your week as it may be that's been one of the most difficult things um especially for the last year and a half or so mm-hmm. i've been writing somewhere between 60 and a hundred thousand words per month depending on on what we needed which is it's too many um and recently i've, I've slowed that cadence down um so that i'm only you know, maxing out at maybe 40 to 50,000 per month, still definitely a lot. But like, I felt like for so long, I couldn't think of anything to write creatively. Like I would, I would put down the computer at nine o'clock at night and just want to watch TV. Um, So I think the balance is really hard. And I think that's, that's one of the issues that writers do deal with very often is like if you write professionally and you write personally um how do you not get burnt out mm-hmm. and you know after working in the restaurant industry for for several years too that you know chefs are the same way you you work on the line you control the kitchen you make gorgeous food that people are going to come from all of the, over the country to enjoy and then they go home and make themselves a can of beans and pour that on top of a grilled cheese because they're tired of cooking Mm-hmm. And 
so at what point do you do you say like it's not enough to enjoy writing professionally i have to do it for passion as well and at what point do you have to just say i enjoy writing so much that i can handle like doing it professionally and just live in this mode for a while and uh finding that balance has been uh, a challenge but making it work kind of yeah it's a tough i remember coming back from uh, teaching many days just wanting to watch television thinking i get enough education on the job i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to do anything else for a while <laughs> oh indeed yes mm -hmm. So, well, I, I did want to ask you about, um, you know, who are some of your um, favorite poets? What, what's on your must-read list? Well, at the risk of being super cliche at this point, um, when when the pandemic first started getting serious and, and like, kind of spreading in the U.S., uh, I picked up a handful of books that I just felt that I needed to, to revisit for whatever reason. Um, so of of those books, I mean, one of them was Dana Ward's This Can't Be Life, which was titled after a, a Jay-Z song. Um, and it's this, God, I wish I could just transport my, my rant to my partner uh, about this book into here, but I, I can't. But essentially, in this book, he weaves together so many elements of pop culture and things that were happening and, and like these interpersonal relationships and then allowing them to kind of build their own life on the page and extend that to the reader in, in such a conversational yet like mildly academic and kind of artsy way that, that it shows how identity is constructed, how culture is constructed, how ideas um, morph over time um, that, kind of seeing this blur of pop culture and, and personal crisis um, kind of felt like what the pandemic felt like, like constantly checking the news, checking websites, checking in on friends to see if they're okay. Um, and, and it was just this major blur of, of, I feel like everybody in the world trying to create a new digital culture on the fly based on what they already knew. Um, and it's been, difficult so so dana ward i think uh is is on my must read list um maggie nelson wrote bluets which i recommend to everybody forever um but that's kind of a a meditation on like the color blue and its associated meanings like whether it be um you know do you feel sad do you feel blue um or or value like does when did blue as a color become like a major thing? Not until relatively recently. Um, but it's, it's an investigation of life and what it means to be human. So that's been one. Um, and then uh, I just, I really love Ray Armentrout. She's got this fantastic way of making you think that you're reading something that means something without actually doing it. Um, just, the, the way that she puts words together is, is fantastic. And then John Ashbery. I got to throw John Ashbery in there too. Like, like some of the fun of poetry is in trying to create, trying to, trying to find out not like what something means, because I don't believe that, that 
poems or riddles. There's not a meaning, but rather what kind of associations do you bring into your reading of the poem? It's like a conversation between the reader and the author. So those are those are great suggestions. Yeah. Maggie Nelson, Ray Armentrout, and John Ashbury. Yeah. I'm reading them to my reading list. Okay. Right on. Good. Well, I think we are kind of getting towards the end of our time together here. Uh, any final question that you have, Ed? Well, I, I was just going to mention that uh, Zeke's been in my classes the last couple of years off and on, and he's always the favorite guest lecturer of, uh, of <laughs> Okay. So now our listeners can see why. Well, that does it for this month's edition of Literary Athens. Thank you big time to Zeke Hudson for joining us here uh, on this pre-recorded um, show. We'll be back next month with another edition of Literary Athens. Until then, good words to everyone. Thank you.